right. Um, welcome, everyone, uh, to our latest podcast. And this week, we are going to be doing 1971's Omega, The Omega Man. I was going to say Omega Man, but it's actually The Omega Man. With Charlton Heston. Right. I'm Doug uh, with Peter. Uh, and Peter, do you want to give us our uh, brief, our weekly brief synopsis? Yes, followed by my my weekly snarky comment. So this is another winner this week, <laughs> in my opinion. I think you're. Hey, you you too. picked it. <laughs> I know, mea culpa. Go um, ahead, go ahead. So, uh, so Colonel Robert Neville is a physician and scientist. Although you and, never know it from watching him, <laughs> and a gun enthusiast. Um, <laughs> that comes through. <laughs> And a stud also. And he has really great taste in art. Um, he in, in L.A. And uh, basically he's doing some kind of immunology research or something at the time that this plague um, breaks out as a result of uh, biological warfare. And he injects himself with an experimental vaccine and therefore he survives the, the, the plague. Um, and apparently he's the essentially the only uninfected person the plague turns people um basically it looks like it kills almost everyone but there's a few survivors who live as these sort of zombie-like creatures that we'll talk about that are are very they're they only come out at night they're very light sensitive and they they're called the family and they're they wear uh, ray-bans they they all wear ray-bans all the same, same. Uh, that was actually or, the only stylish thing in the movie. Actually, they didn't all have the same, but they all wore some variation of sunglasses. A lot of them look. Uh, a lot of them have those kind of rectangular, mirrored Ray Bans. Right. Anyway, but well, like keep finishing doing your summary. I don't mean to derail you, which is what I'm doing. That's okay. Uh, it's more interesting than the summary. So, so uh, anyway, they they're they're run by this guy um, Matthias who is the leader of the zombies and that for some reason they really want to kill uh, the main character, Charlton Heston, uh, Colonel Neville. And he, eventually he f- finds a few other survivors, especially this woman. Um, they sort of start to build a life together. He briefly. cures very briefly. He cures her brother. But they, they, do, they do find enough time to get down. Right. And that was, well, you know, <laughs> as we'll discuss, that was one of the only other good things in the movie. So um, she he treats her brother successfully with a serum he makes. Um, and then uh, then she ends up um, big spoiler here, folks, in case you run out and go see this movie. She ends up kind of turning into uh, turning into a zombie at the end. Um, the, the young brother gets killed horrifically. And then he ends up being Jesus, but giving the serum to the few human survivors and dying. Right. right. Well, being, and Neville. he's cruci- He's both crucified and speared, which I guess sort of all goes together with the crucifixion angle. He's even, I think he's even speared on the same side, on the right side, just like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Like, you know, like in the crucifixion. Right. And, and, the, uh, and, and he lives through being impaled by a spear for like like 15 hours you know after right. the thing goes this six foot spear sinks into his right. chest by about a foot although but he lives just long enough to give them the the vial of serum right because he almost drops it that's exactly when he's dying is right when they show up <laughs> anyway. um yeah uh, I'm, I'm i'm about as big a fan of 70s 
genre cinema as you can get and this was a struggle this was a tough one for me to get through <laughs> i think you I, I i think you liked the black hole a lot better than i did because i didn't i thought they both right. were pretty crazy and i didn't really like the black hole <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this was cheesy in a way um this movie did not have hot very high aspirations no no and and it and it met them <laughs> <laughs> i'm not so sure no, I mean it, it. It I mean it aimed low and it hit low. Um, I don't even think it hit. It hit as high as it aimed, which is pretty low. I think it still so, missed. So we have to say um, that this is an adaptation of uh, Richard Matheson's 1954 novel, uh, and this is the second of three film uh, adaptations. Uh, the first was the Vincent Price version, Last Man on Earth. This is the second one. And then uh, in 2007, there was the Will Smith uh, version. I Am Legend. Um, right, I Am Legend. And then apparently there is a fourth one that I have never seen uh, called I Am Omega, which was a direct-to-DVD version that was released in 2007 to compete with I Am Legend, although I never saw it or heard of anybody in it. Hmm. So, but it was apparently directly made to capitalize on I am like I think it was the kind of thing like you'd go to the red box and it'd be there. You'd be like, "Hey, I'll watch this," but it's just, it was the same movie, right? Direct to video. And we'll um, talk about I Am Legend a little bit later because I think it was right. It's the modern remake, so it's and it's better made. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to talk, if that's okay, I wanted to talk just a little bit about Richard Matheson, um, who, you know, I, I knew I was aware of a lot of stuff he did, and then <clears throat> when I was reading through his um, his filmography and sort of the list of things he wrote, I mean, just, I mean, he wrote The, the Shrinking Man, which became The Incredible Shrinking Man, which had a huge impact on me when I was a kid. He wrote, I believe, over a dozen episodes of The Twilight Zone, including... Uh, the infamous Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. He wrote The Enemy Within, the Star Trek episode where Kirk is split into two. Really? I didn't even and, realize that. And he wrote Duel, Spielberg's, uh, I think, if not his first film, it's one of his very first films, the mm-hmm. sort of the, the truck chase movie. I mean, I mean, this guy had a, what can only be called a phenomenal career. Mm-hmm. And, and f- sort of full of... Great concepts, sort of one after the other, and a lot of high concept stuff. Um, just, I was, I was, I don't know, I was just really wowed by the sort of like the, this guy had a writing career that spanned, you know, three decades. Have you ever seen, by the way, have you ever seen The Incredible Shrinking Man? I don't think I have. It's terrific. If we ever do, if we ever get to the 50s, we should do The Incredible Shrinking Man. Like it's, it's well written, it's well acted, and for 1957, its effects are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds familiar. It, you know, I could have seen it like it's super dark. It has a super dark, dark ending. Right. Well, this 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 story is, is kind of a dark story. Uh, yeah, it is a dark story. It is a dark. It's executed badly, but it's a dark story. Right. Um, Matheson said of this movie, of this particular version. I read a quote for him that he said that it resembled his novel so little he couldn't even be upset by it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a healthy attitude. In the book, uh, we'll, we'll get to the movie in a second, but in, you know, in the movie, they're, they're clearly kind of zombies. 
in the book, they are without a doubt vampires. So, like, that's a big change. Like, they are very much vampires. Right. Um, and uh, in the book, um, Neville actually uh, kills his wife after she rises from the dead and attacks him. I remember that scene very clearly. Hmm. So. Well, they, they um, make the, you know, the, the, whatever they are, the, the monsters are a lot scarier in the, in I Am Legend and the remake also. They're not very scary right. in this, this movie, which is one of the major faults, but, but we'll, uh, we'll yeah. get to that. So, um, I, I'll say I did, I, again, not to trash everything about the movie because we're going to come close, but, um, I did like, I have to say, I did like the cold open. You know, the credits don't appear for several minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it is a, the, the opening scene, I think, I think they thought a lot more about the opening than a lot of the rest of the movie because the opening is very good. The scenes of him driving through the abandoned um, L.A. The streetscape. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was good. That was actually a very auspicious. Yeah, you really, you think it's going to be decent. and then Yeah, it, I know, got excited. Right. <laughs> it's like the first couple minutes of uh, the of the, the remade, uh, you know, Star Wars number one movie, you know, when it came oh, out. Oh, uh, Force Awakens. Whatever. I don't even remember what. Episode one, you know, that first oh, oh, few oh, minutes. Episode, meaning like, the you mean the Phantom Menace? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the, the cold open is good, and that scene is very good. Um, and it also, you know, there's the bit in that where the phone rings. I believe that that's shortly after the cold open where the phone rings. Right. And he has to remind himself that there is there is no phone ringing, there's no one there, there's no one calling. And it sort of very quickly, without a lot of words, establishes that he's been there a long time and he has a routine, but he's, you know, he's he's on the edge a little bit from being alone so long and by what he's seen and done. Yeah, that's right after he gets out of the movie theater. I mean that that opening sequence in a nutshell is is he's driving in a, a period um, big convertible through deserted L.A. streets that have you know it's a post apocalyptic uh, appearing L.A. with trash all over. And he's driving like a lunatic, you know. He's sort of like cutting uh, corners. Yeah, and... he's driving really fast and fishtailing through town, and you know he's clearly acting like there's no one else around. I mean, he's just. And and they ripped that scene off directly in the the Will Smith remake, um, almost you know shot for shot, almost in some ways. Um, he's not wearing a toupee in this movie, by the way. Right. This is. I, I was wondering, like, at what point does the Charlton Heston toupee show up? Because once it shows up, it never goes away, and his hair is. He's definitely thinning a lot in this movie. He's got a lot less hair than he had in Planet of the Apes in this. Yeah, I mean, he's not wearing a toupee, but those are his machine guns. <laughs> and there's like, a, the machine guns are the co-star of the movie, actually, when you think yeah. about it. There's no dog, you know? It's just um, him with his machine gun. There is no dog. I guess and you're liquor. right. Uh, yeah, I guess you're liquor. right. Yeah, there's a lot of booze. His yeah. apartment's kind of swanky, but we'll kind of get to that. Um, I, I thought that one thing that was weird, though, was um, in the opening scene, I mean, it's it's implied from the way L.A. looks and the way that he's acting that it's been a long time. Like, he's mouthing. He, like, he goes to see the Woodstock documentary, which he boots up at the local uh, movie house, and then he's able to mouth along with it, implying he's watched it over and over and over. Um 
But, you know, he's awful clean. Like, he's wearing this sort of safari outfit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and his clothes are cleaned and pressed. And I was, it was a little bit, like, a bit of a reminder that it kind of took me out of the scene a little bit. Like, if he's really there all alone for so long, like, would he really care how he looked? You know, like, why is he shaved? You know? <laughs> like, what? Well, it's Charlton Heston. Uh, no, even, I know. Uh, an even better question is, why does he like Woodstock? Because if he's in character, <laughs> he should hate them hippies. <laughs> but remember, Heston started out as a Democrat, and he was like a big civil rights activist. And then he, he didn't become a Republican and sort of Mr. NRA till much later. So he was probably in transition at this point. Maybe the, maybe this, this made him transition. <laughs> right? Shooting all these guns kind of <laughs> This is the, kind of got get, into it. You know, it the, is very the, satisfying, you know, yeah, shooting the, all those weapons on the, the set, famous, I imagine. Uh, the famous quote, uh, <coughs> those pride from my cold dead hands. <laughs> it's kind of happened in this movie, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, you could, by the way, you had to pry the remote from my cold dead hand by the time this thing was done. <laughs> um, so the, I think I'd he throw looked, the remote at the TV by the time. So he, when he's in, so there's a scene where he goes into um, uh, cl- a clothing store, I think, and and uh, he uh, he sort of looks at mannequins a little bit, sort of again emphasizing his isolation. And there's a calendar in that scene that's from 1975, and then I read somewhere that the movie takes place in August of 77. So he's been there at least two years. I think they even say two years at one point. Oh, I didn't. I didn't get that. That's certainly possible. Because I um, think when he's clearing, when he's he's clearing block by block or whatever, because he's looking for the uh, the family to kill them, and um, he he says, you know, in two years or something, he makes some reference. I think to how much oh, territory he's cleared, and it's three years in the in uh, the the Will Smith version. Is it? Um, yeah. I, you know, in the the opening. Like first fifteen twenty minutes when it starts to get dark, you know he he's able to move around freely in the daylight because the zombies are photosensitive, I guess. <clears throat> I guess I had photodynamic therapy at some point. Um, uh, there's a very obvious use of a night filter, like hmm. when he's like, "Oh my, it's it's getting late." It's it's really, "Oh my," the, the cameraman put the night filter on. Like it's very jarring. Like one right. second the filter's on, and the scene before it wasn't. Like I was sort of, again, like his clean safari outfit, kind of like took me out of the movie. Like, oh yeah, it's Chuck Haston on a set, you know? Like yeah, they kind well, of were jumps- inconsistent. It jumps the shark right there because then he goes back to his uh, – he tools back to his hideout and then he gets attacked like going into the garage and it just – it's the most ridiculous looking scene. It's like all the coolness of him tooling around in the convertible. <laughs> just goes. Instantly, instantly when the stuntman like leaps onto his car and then there's red paint <laughs> everywhere. Right, and the stuntman shoot. miraculously gets pushed into a pile of cardboard boxes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, was that a bad scene. <laughs> to break his fall. It was almost like the the everybody who made the movie for the first ten or fifteen minutes quit, and they hired a whole bunch of the, the whole, whole crew was changed over, and then this like you know the B roll people showed up. Right. Call down to the uh, stuntman's union. Get get oh twenty guys up here. By it's the like way, it was a just different director. I don't know or something. 
Um, it, but it is true. Like, again, the, the first, like, 10, 15 minutes, him driving, the movie theater, the mannequin scene, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then, but but I think, you know, the zombies are never, ever once frightening. And they're never really explained. I mean, I, I know what they're getting at. You know, we'll kind of talk about it. But, yes, they're 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 at best silly and at worst ridiculous. Well, and I think that the silliness is exacerbated by the fact that, um, to stick with my costuming theme, they're wearing the same outfit. Like, where did they get all these black robes? Like, did they sew them? Like, they're supposed to be zombies, the living dead, wandering around, you know, in torment. But they managed to get, oh, wait, hey, look, we let, let's, let's, let's get 500 of these black identical robes with cardboard clearly sewn into the hood. Yeah, it was uh, a terrible idea. All they had to do was put him in a bunch of rags and put right. those contacts in, you know, or those scleral shells or whatever. The, you right. Know, the- so just for the listeners, these zombies all have uh, white white eyes that are obviously contacts. Yeah, and that, that's all they had to do to differentiate them. You know, if they would they would have dressed them in a normal outfit, not even used. They didn't even have to use all the the white pancake makeup to make them look. Uh, pale they could have just put a couple of sores on them in old clothing and stu- and given them the contacts that would have been enough yeah well and again like in most zombie movies you become a zombie wearing the clothes you wear when you die like these guys you know they went to a tailor and got fitted for you know jedi robes or something yeah and they're not even really zombies they don't really ever explain well and like the leader on. what's the leader's name again Matthias. Matthias. You know, he's he's awful urbane. You yeah. know, for a zombie. By the way, I don't know if you noticed he's the newscaster. Yeah. I I noticed that at Wikipedia. That's where I noticed. Oh, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, that, it. It's the yeah. same voice. Um <laughs> but uh but you know, like I said, like for a zombie I mean, I think that's the zombie dialogue in most movies, you know, but mm-hmm. like Matthias, you know, he's got monologues and he thinks and he leads and he gives speeches, you know, like it actually made it not look so bad to be a zombie, you know, like, oh, all right. Well, I think that they were <laughs> live about, at night. Well, the the problem with the, you know, the villains was they were they were about 20 percent zombie and 80 uh, percent Luddite cult where they basically were this cult of people who were sick and who were anti-technology right um, with their wooden carts and catapults right and they, they were very virulently anti-technology and they're supposed to have i think the way the plot's supposed to be taken and the movie is trying to say is that they have a legitimate viewpoint because i guess you know in the book and also in i am legend in a way which is a better adaptation the point at the end of the movie or the end of the story i should say is that um, that their viewpoint in the post-apocalyptic world wins out. Basically, right, it wins out that he is the murderer because he's been trying to kill or killing them and walking around during the day. But the new normal is them, and they live at night. And a guy that's running around trying to kill them all the time and up in the day, which is abnormal, he's really the vampire or the zombie or the villain. Right? He's the he's the monster. Right. He's and that's the why he's the legend because they're all afraid of him. Right. And and then the, this movie never it never really approaches that. They kind of flirt with that, but they never do it. I mean, the movie's you, Charlton Heston running around. But again, you can see why the book is so high concept, because right. the whole book, you think he's the hero 
fighting the good fight. And at the end, the vampires very plainly explain to him that he's the bad guy. Right. You know, and he's the last of his kind. And, you know, humans time has passed. Right. And, uh, and, and it's also, uh, you know, the story implies that, you know, he's, he's, uh, emblematic. This guy's a military physician and he's, he contributed to the downfall of humanity and the passing of into this new era. You know, he's the, the Omega man. He's the last of the old era. Um, so in the end, in the end of the story, it's sort of, it's supposed to make sense, but you don't really get any of that in this movie. No, you don't. <laughs> or, or if you do, it's 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 conveyed in such a, a clunky, heavy-handed way that you don't care. Yeah, and, and that's another thing they do a better job in the, the Will Smith version, because in the, the one I saw is the alternate ending one, and he basically does realize that in the end. So, so we're getting ahead of ourselves, but how does the alternate ending of the Will Smith version end? I've only seen the regular Will Smith version. So I guess in the regular one, he dies also. Um, and he dies uh, at the end and he gives a Sonia Braga the, the serum. Right. Um, the alternate ending one is, is actually quite good. So he, uh, they get backed into a corner by the, the truly Alice scary Braga. Sorry, not Sonia Braga. Right. The, the truly scary, um, zombie like thingies, uh, in, in I am legend. Cause they're really fast and scary and they seem to have a guy who is, is more intelligent and is a leader and he's been experimenting, trying to cure them. You know, he first experiments with rats or some kind of rodent, and then he moves on to zombies cause he's trying to cure them. He's been doing this for years and he's got a, a wall of, you know, results with pictures of dead zombies, uh, on there and he's gone through dozens of them. Um, almost like, again, you know, sort of showing that he's the villain, right? And you know, you don't really. I mean, it looks maybe a touch creepy, <clears throat> but you reframe that at the end when you when you see that that wall. It's really uh, things he's murdered. But so in the end, uh, he's experimenting on this female zombie, and the leader of the zombies kind of corner. They figure out where he lives, and they find him, and they corner him and the the girl. In, the, in his lab. And then the leader zombie basically communicates to him that he wants the girl. And then he understands and opens the door and goes out and revives her. And then they, they're lovers, basically, like the, the leader zombie and her kiss. And she wakes up and then they leave him there. Hmm. Um, they don't kill him, even though they, you could tell that, you know, in that moment, you, you really, you realize and you understand what's going on. Interesting. And, and uh, and they all watch, you know, that the zombie has has feelings and that they have a civilization in a way. The Vincent Price one um, is fairly far from both of these filmed versions. And in the Vincent Price one, uh, it's, it's an Italian movie. Vincent Price is the only non-Italian actor in the movie. Hmm. Um, and you can watch it online. It's free on YouTube. The whole thing is up. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched long segments of it. Although it does end with him being impaled on a spear. Right. Um, um, so there's a little similarity there. No Clint Eastwood. No spaghetti. <laughs> no. <laughs> the spaghetti horror film. Right. Um, so, um, so we see his swanky pad, right? He, he's got a kind of a swinging seventies, uh, pad, 
Right. Um, he plays a chess with a statue of Julius Caesar, who he refers to as a miserable schmuck, which I kind of liked. <laughs> um, and then, and then there's a lot of stock footage thrown in where he sort of in flashback kind of thinks about how the war was started. And there's a lot of stock footage of missiles being launched and things like that. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting that the zombies call themselves the family. I mean, uh, uh, this is a little early, but again, you know, Manson family, 70s. Well, <laughs> that might have been a little bit later. Um, and I like the way that, like, to make him, like, in his, in his swanky apartment, to make him be a scientist, they have a, a little rack of test tubes with colored fluid. <laughs> like, to kind of telegraph to the audience, scientists have test tubes. <laughs> right. They didn't even go with the, the spinning uh, mainframe. You know, which is the right, other right, the flashing light computer, right. do, 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 the two big, you know, this the tape spools, <laughs> the Atavacron, right. <laughs> M five tie-in. <laughs> um, yep. Interesting that there is a helicopter scene, and there's a helicopters play big parts in both I Am Legend and this movie. Uh, in this movie, there's a scene as the plague where it's going out. He's you know in a little mash style helicopter. And then his pilot becomes uh, infected and functionally dies while they're in flight. And the helicopter falls from a great height and explodes in an enormous burst of flame. <laughs> and then he's shown, like, just picking himself up and dusting off. Yeah, he rolls out. He rolls <laughs> like, out of the fireball. That was close. <laughs> and he, yeah, and he gives himself a shot. He has, like, a sprained ankle. <laughs> right. Like, again, taking me out of the movie completely. And they did the helicopter crash in the most lame way possible. Like, helicopter passes behind the tree line and hillside (laughs) out of view. And then then slightly off in a different location, there's an explosion. (laughs) Listen, you could tell by the helicopter they didn't have a lot of budget because that thing was like 1950, you know? I mean, I they had, you know, they had a uh, turbine powered. I mean, you know, it wasn't a freaking uh, uh, Yui, you know, it was no. an old piston wire, two man. Really <laughs> actually, cheapy. actually, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it actually did crash. <laughs> <laughs> that actually wasn't in the script. <laughs> well, they just worked it in, you know. <laughs> um, actually, ironically, wasn't the director... I think that the director was actually killed by a helicopter like years later. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Hmm, yeah, this I... is it. So the Boris Sagal. And he's the director, isn't he? I think he is the director. Boris I looked Sagal up his... was killed in an accident during production of the miniseries World War Three when he was partially decapitated walking Ugh. into the tail rotor blades of a helicopter Ugh. in the parking lot of the Timberline Lodge in Oregon. Yee. How's, that's, that's not good. Yeah. Hmm. That's probably he didn't, a cheap helicopter, too. He didn't really, um, he didn't direct a lot of other movies. No, he made stuff for TV. Like, he made a bunch of, he made, a, like, The Twilight Zone and Columbo, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Man from Uncle. Like, he did a lot of TV stuff. By the way, you know the Timberline Lodge from something else. The Timberline. Is that a... It's the exteriors of The Shining. The Shining. That's right. That's right. Right. So the interior is a set, I believe, at Elstree. 
but the exterior is the Timberline Lodge. Lodge. Right. Wow, that's terrible that he uh, yeah he walked into the tail rotor. Good lord, nineteen eighty one, he was fifty seven. Yeah, um, yeah, his filmography is mostly television. Yes. Um, I you know like there's uh, if you look him up, there's not a lot uh, there that really kind of. I don't know. Maybe I'm being uncharitable. I'm looking through no, his he, filmography. He made a lot of TV. He made a lot of TV, and honestly, uh, I don't recognize any other film that he made besides this. Well, he made Night Gallery, so I'll give him that one. But that's it. That's the only one I recognize. Um, that's too bad. That's too bad. Um, by the way, you know what this reminded me of a little bit. Um, since we're jumping around a little bit, like from The Shining, you know what? You know what the movie did remind me of a little bit. Um, Miri, the um, Star Trek episode, Miri. Yeah, uh, and there's there was some sort of similar elements of uh, sort of you know living in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, human people m- mixed in with the zombies that they will become. Um, Etc. So I thought, you know, I was sort of reminded of Miri. Although that having been said, I think Miri is a hell of a lot better. Miri, Miri yeah. is directed by Vincent McGeevity, who knew was a really good director, and it has Kim Darby, who you may remember from the original True Grit, uh, playing Miri herself. So, hmm. oh, one so, other but, note about uh, the director. Um, so his daughter is Katie Siegel, who was the oh you know, really with children. Yep. And um, she's Leela on Futurama. Correct. Right, who is named for Louise Jameson's character on Doctor Who. Yes, that is. That is. She's been in many <laughs> that's things. Interesting. That's wow, his daughter. Do- that's his, that's his, oldest, his oldest kid. That's his daughter. Hollywood. Hollywood. Um, how come, by the way, so so we're, we're drifting away from the plot, and I want to keep listeners engaged in the plot. So um, at one point, he's captured. He's captured by the zombies. Uh, like they break through his security, they capture him and they take him to an abandoned stadium uh, where they uh, kind of get set up to perform the first of his two crucifixions. Um, and then they're gonna they kind of like put him spread eagle on this thing for some strange reason. I couldn't fathom. He's wearing a white conical hat. Um, <laughs> No, they do. Like, the same tailor who made the robes, like, hey, get a white conical hat. They put him in this strange hat, and then they're going to they're gonna burn him to death. Although, why they wouldn't just... I guess they can't infect him. Um, they're going to burn him to death. And then he is rescued by um, uh, a guy wearing no shirt and a jacket that has the middle finger on it. <laughs> like, right. I can't make that up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they show that numerous times. Well, he's it's wearing this. It's sort of a semi. It's like a cross between a hippie thing and a biker jacket. It's this. Um, but it, it absolutely right. It makes no sense. And then we discover uh, that there's a small group of people mostly living in kids. the hills, mostly kids, who are basically infected but have a mild form of the disease. Right, and sometimes they get worse. And they actually suggest that even the family is dying occasionally. Um, from the disease because he finds a dead family member at one point in the movie. And so they, they're all sick, you know, they're sort of, um, they're not, it's not like they're, they're in a new state in this movie that they've reached and they're stable. They're all kind of ill. Right. Right. And they, and they're, they're covered in sores. Like they don't look happy. Right. Um, 
And then I, you know, I may have missed it, but could you explain why um, the people that he finds and who rescue him are not fully infected? Like, asking, why are they not fully sick? You're asking me to explain this movie. <laughs> I'm asking you to explain this part because <laughs> um, I, I didn't follow it, and I actually went back and watched it again, and was left scratching my head. You watched it again? Holy well, crap! Well, just that scene, just that scene to figure it out. What a constitution you have! <laughs> hey, I'm committed to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I won't admit that I didn't even finish the book. No, I'm kidding. The only thing I got was that it had something to do with the fact that they were young because you don't see any other young people with the family. But the woman and um, the man who are with them are clearly adults. But so I don't understand why they're not sick. By the way, um, Rosalind Cash, uh, she's actually decent in this. I mean, she's kind Mm -hmm. of doing the black exploitation thing, right? um, In a very, very sort of over the top way, but she's also kind of like winking at the camera. Whereas Heston's playing it seriously, she's kind of not. Um, Yeah, and she's actually she's actually pretty fun to watch. I had to give her a lot of props. Yeah, she's. You're right. The movie gets better when she's running around. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Especially the couple of couple scenes. But um, she is better. I mean, yeah, Heston is, uh, especially when he's he's running around with a glass of scotch in his, in his bachelor pad with all of his stolen art. Right. And he does. And he changes clothes a couple of times. Like he's got so like a boring. little like wardrobe there. You know, it's incredibly boring when he's running around in his apartment, I have to say, because they don't. It's just, you know, he, he seems cooped up and lonely. Yes. But then it, it's it's also kind of dull. You know, they really they could have had him if they wanted to show him surviving, they could have had him doing a bunch of, you know, little mechanical details, going up to work on the machine gun, going down to do stuff. You know, they could have had him be sort of busy instead of just kind of rattling around and chewing up the scenery once in a while by himself. But, you know, maybe it was easy for them to just burn a lot of time in that set. Cause it's a big set. Yeah. You know, they, they spent money to make it, you know, it's got like the trap doors and the locks. So they probably figured, well, let's, let's, put a lot of scenes in this set right they they uh they use the elevator a lot he has this complicated elevator that it sort of seals him in up on the top floor but um although i do i have to by the way just before i i I made a mint i made a little note and i wanted to comment on it um in the scene where he is rescued from the stadium and then he and um is her name is it ruth what's her name girl uh yeah Jeez. What's the girl's name? Um, Oh, Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. Um, uh, When he and Lisa escape from the stadium on a motorcycle in what is meant to be an exciting scene, but is is not at all. (laughs) Like, I love the fact that they made no effort at all to hide the fact that the stunt the doubles stunt look man. nothing like them. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was like didn't even resemble them in terms of like height, weight, hair, you know, like it was like a white person with a black woman and that was it. They were like good enough. <laughs> well, listen, at least they found a black woman. It wasn't like two white dudes. <laughs> that reminds me of I'm sorry Star I keep Trek. referencing Star Trek, but totally. it reminds me of 
in, in, in the end of Space Seed, when Kirk fights Khan in engineering, like, I remember when my brother and I watched it when we were so little, we didn't even know what a stunt double was. I distinctly remember asking my father, like, how come Captain Kirk looks different in this fight? <laughs> because <laughs> it's not it Bill Shatner. Interestingly, it was the, the worst um, stuntman substitution since Star Trek, for sure. <laughs> since, right, since Space Seed. But, like, there's three or four shots of the doubles on the bike. And then they would like cut to like a close shot of like, you know, Heston stationary on the bike. Like whenever he had to turn the bike around, the bike had to stop for a second. They would show yeah. Heston and her. And then they would cut back to like stunt double. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say overall to sum it up, it was not well done. <laughs> and although I have to say like, see, that's one of the reasons I think I might've enjoyed watching this a little more than uh, the black hole because it was so bad that that was actually kind of amusing. It, uh, yeah, I think you were more amused than I was. <laughs> the, well, the stunt double scene. To, it did bring me back to Star Trek. That whole. Um, and then so he so then uh, uh, her brother gets sick. Right? right, he gets sicker, and then through some test tube chemistry, he uses a centrifuge and a, and a conspicuously labeled coulter counter. Yes. Um, he synthesizes the serum that makes him better. Although I was interested in how how being sick would change the the color of your hair once it's out of your scalp. Like his hair turns white when he's a zombie, Lisa's brother, and then when he becomes normal, his hair turns dark again. Like, yeah. <laughs> wait, how would it change the color of the hair that's out? Yeah, and you—he didn't grow any sunglasses, though. You'd expect that to happen too. Oh, and right. The other thing he, is, when he uses the centrifuge, this is a really dork point, but he only he, puts one thing. He in. puts one tube in and turns it on. <laughs> I know. I was thinking like it's gonna wobble. It's gonna flip right <laughs> off the thing and uh, right He'll off put the bench. one one tube in your centrifuge. <laughs> um. But I do like the way, though, that you know, later on, Lisa becomes a vampire, too. Spoiler alert. Um, and, and her hair turns white. I'm not quite sure how that can... That's what I mean. Like, you know, they went to the tailor, the zombies, they got their robes. They went to the zombie salon. They got their hair done. You know what I mean? No, like, she's is... even wearing kind of a nice zombie outfit when she becomes a zombie. Well, it's like a big reveal, you know, like she she unwraps her head and it turns out she's a zombie. And she sees the family and gets all dun, excited. Dun. <laughs> it was uh, it was terrible. Well, the, just the the whole the family was terrible. It's the worst part of the movie. Well, and it's funny because when she's revealed to be a vampire, uh, sorry, a zombie, whatever. Um, I actually I made a little note and I wrote not scary, silly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wrote in my my little cheat sheet as I was watching this. I know, and they didn't even have any more zombie nude scenes after that. <laughs> and then and then he gets captured again, uh, and then there's a lot of talking. A lot of talking that just goes on and on and on and on and on. I think that was their nod to the the high concept point of the story, and they it wasn't much of a nod because there was no high concept or story, really. You know, they were trying yeah. they were trying to demonstrate how the the family was just you know like we talked about before how they're the new generation and how he's really the his he's wrong. Right, and then um, then they they crucify him, um, and then he gives the serum to a, a Dutch, I believe, the guy who wears no sh- no no the actual with- shirt but a jacket with the middle finger on it. The finger, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he will he will henceforth be referred to as finger. Um, and 
and and completely undoing because his heroism at the end just undoes the concept behind the story entirely. Plus, he lives for like incredibly long period of time after having a spear <coughs> sunk, you know, thrown out of like the fourth story window by Matthias, and <laughs> right. sinking and perfectly as, hits him. Right, a six foot long spear drives into his chest and sinks and sticks. So the thing's right. like basically all the way through him. Right, and, and he's he alive, kinda, and he lives forever. until they show up, so we can give them the serum bottle. Yeah, and it's it's overnight because it's it's like the next day. It's like lunchtime by the time they show up, you know. Like, <laughs> well, they, they they were gonna come earlier, but you know they were you know they had to clean up and do some laundry. <laughs> they stopped at the mall. <laughs> I picked up some of our clothes from the abandoned, you know, Spencers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And then you know you're supposed to feel a little happy in the end for them that they get the serum, but you're sort of left. You know, at the end, there's going to be still be two populations, right? There'll be family people because yeah. they're not all killed. The family, right? Well, I was happy um, in the end. <laughs> you were just happy because it was over, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then there's the uh, Dutch and the kids, and I guess, and and I guess I forget. Does Lisa stay? Oh, that's right. Lisa goes off with Dutch and the children in the end to be presumptively cured. Right. Um, by the serum. They kind of like drag her off because she's she's still under the sway of the family and she's she's in her, you know, so right. She's going to get cured and they're going to give it to all them and then they're going to start a new society more or less. Maybe, maybe. Although they only have five people. Not, right. Not a lot of biologic diversity is to start their new society. But right. I digress. Um it's funny that we both noticed the one test tube in the century. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh my god! Um, um, you want to talk about the interracial kiss? That's one of the things the movie's famous for. Call that famous? Yeah, they. Yeah, they, there's a there's a Charlton Charlton Heston kisses the the girl. Rosalind Cash. Right, she's an African American young attractive female and he, it's a it's a may september zombie relationship <laughs> right it was definitely before he was uh president of the nra i'm pretty sure <laughs> and a republican <laughs> he probably would have shot her <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> the later so bad uh, but you know when they did the kiss i knew the kiss was coming because i had read about it beforehand and you know of course for the nth Star Trek reference of the day. Um, but, you know, they say that the Shatner Nichols kid is the first interracial kiss, but I don't think it actually was. I think it was just the first big one. But, you know, when they do the interracial kiss here, most of it is in shadow. Like, mm-hmm. they're actually kind of largely obscured. And I thought, oh, that's how they're going to do it. They're going to kind of do it in shadow. And then they move into the light. So, like, in the middle of the kiss, all of a sudden they move into the light. So I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. Yeah, the next scene, um, she's like, she's topless getting out of bed, you know? Like, right. So they're, they're not, you know, and then it's clear that they're a couple for some period of weeks. Yeah, because, day, is no, it, I weeks. don't know. I thought it was days. No, but they say it's, they say it's weeks because um, they talk about how the, it, how long it takes the, uh, her brother to get better. Oh they yeah. I missed it. that. <clears throat> I missed that. Well, I think that there's a couple of kiss scenes, but the first one is their clothes where they're sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think later on she's uh, she's undressed. Um, 
you know, I was surprised, um, you know, how many people like this film? Like when you kind of, I looked up some reviews, some, some contemporary and period reviews, like a lot of people feel very fondly about this movie. Like, I, boy, this was a tough one for me. Tim Burton, um, Tim Burton's quoted as, uh, that it's one of his favorites. And I think I could be wrong. I thought, I thought I saw something positive from Tarantino about this as well. Really? Um, I, I, maybe I might I might be getting that one wrong, but I mean, like, there's a lot of positive stuff, and you know, it's funny because if you look at some like fan sites, I mean, like, there's no small number of people who say like, I know it's not a great movie, but it's my favorite movie of all time. Like that was kind of a common uh, thought, but I, you know, you wonder if it's they just saw it at a certain age and it made an impression on them. Um, you you know, when we do our Logan's Run podcast, you'll hear similar you'll hear similar <laughs> comments from me. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, we're doing next. Um, <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I, I'll give it one thing. It kind of, it's kind of the first zombie movie in a way, or it's one of the, it's it's an early post-apocalyptic mm. zombie movie. Yeah, I don't think you can call it the first one by any stretch, but it's, you know, it's, but, you know, I mean, it, it kind of fits in with, you know, all this 70s fascination with the post-apocalyptic world, right? Right. Soylent Green, Rollerball, Silent Running, Logan's Run. There's mm-hmm. a lot of dystopia and then into the going 80s on too. there. Like, uh, you know, it Boy went... and his dog, right? Right. Uh, right. But again, like, it, it's very, very much a, 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 a film of its era. Yeah. That's for sure. But I think that... that... <laughs> The urban, empty, post-apocalyptic setting—it <clears throat> was good. You know, they 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 didn't do. You know, they did it badly, but it's a good idea. They did it badly, except in the first, you know, fifteen minutes, like we were talking about when that when it was good. But then, right, uh, I, you know that otherwise it was a good idea, and that kind of stuck, I guess. You know, because you could draw a line from that to uh, The Walking Dead. Um, right, a very direct line. Right. I mean, The Walking Dead's a, a much better made version of that. I'm trying to, what was the first zombie movie? I'm just sort of curious. I'm not talking about what's his name, Romero or that. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, because that's before this. But like, but, but I mean. That's pure horror, too. That's not like, um, there's nothing kind of post-apocalyptic and there's nothing. there's no concept behind those movies. Those movies are just supposed to be scary, you know? Sort of. You know what's interesting, apropos of nothing about zombies and vampires? Um, I read somewhere that all cultures around the world independently came up with some version of the zombie or the vampire, like the idea of the dead person who has risen and must be feared. Like like all over the world, people kind of independently you know, had a fear of the undead and, and then developed sort of legends and stories about that. Like no one culture can lay claim to the zombie or the vampire myth, which I thought was kind of a neat idea. Right. I don't know. I'm looking through There's, I mean, there's zombie movies going back a long way. I mean, there's zombie movies going back in one form or the other to the fifties. Oh yeah. But I mean, they were, there's a lot of them. But were they were they this, this kind of dystopian? Mm, so a lot of them were very very low budget, and then there's a lot of zombie movies, especially in the '60s, 
Uh, by the 60s, there's a lot of zombies. And I guess you could even say that um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is, a, I guess, a, is a form of a zombie film, I guess you could say. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know. You know, um, I mean, this is a big studio film starring an A-list actor, uh, Charlton Heston. I mean, you know, at this point, Heston is... You know, he's Hollywood gold. You know, yeah. he's Moses. He's Ben-Hur. He's Taylor in the Planet of the Apes. I he mean, a he's done star. a lot of things. Um, and yet the movie feels cheap and 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 shoddy. Right. You know, and, and uh, I think we said, we said before we started offline, you know, Heston was paid $300,000 to be in it. But maybe maybe that was money well spent because it got people into the theater. Because honestly, there's no one else in this movie who's really memorable, with the exception um, of uh, Cash. What's her full name? Uh, Rosalind, Rosalind Cash, who plays Lisa. And again, she has a very, very small part compared to his, and she's maybe the third banana. You know, it's him, Matthias, and her are the three main uh, people in the movie. Right. Um. Uh, I, I wanted to say a word on the music. Um, uh, the the music is uh, done by uh, Ron Grenier, I believe it's pronounced. And and I actually made a note uh, in my in my cheat sheet while I was watching it that the movie the music is often discordant to what is happening. Yeah, like, I thought it was terrible. Like scary I, I was scenes. Were, I thought I was afraid you were going to say that the music was <laughs> was pretty good because I I thought the mu- music was awful. Yeah, so the 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 music um doesn't go with what's happening and I no. wonder if I wonder if you know like did he make the music in isolation and they just kind of chopped it together afterwards? I don't know, like it just doesn't go and like scenes that are supposed to be big and scary have kind of like a light motif playing in the background and some of the some of the scenes where the music was really serious, nothing really big was happening on screen. Like the music wasn't bad, it just didn't it didn't match. Yeah, I don't know. It was strange. Yeah, it, was it was very very strange. Well, it just it was it was not well done. Just like many other sort of technical aspects of the movie. It's so, just, do you know by the way what Ron Grenier is yeah, most famous for? I just noticed. The, the Doctor theme. Who theme. Yes. Like he was there at the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. So that's what made me uh, look up the music because I saw his name and I recognized it from Doctor Who. Um, although the, I think he did it with uh, Delia Derbyshire was the woman who kind of really put it together for Doctor Who. But still, um, his name's on the credits for Doctor Who. And you can mm-hmm. actually sort of hear a little bit of the synth overtones in this. But again... The music just, it was like it was out of sync, you know? Yeah. Like they just randomly took bits of music and slapped them together. It was the worst. It was period music, <laughs> but really badly done and not, you're right, absolutely. Like, you sound, like, to the you sound like, like the comic book guy. Worst score worst, ever. <laughs> worst score ever. It, it really was bad. It was bad. It was bad. And my suspicion is he probably did it with one ear shut, so to speak. I mean, if he's, if they showed him any of the scenes besides the very beginning of the movie, he probably figured like, oh, boy, I better just throw something out and get my paycheck. This yeah. thing's not even going to come out. 
(laughs) (laughs) He had a completion clause. I think it's called like, what is it? Pay or play? Like, (laughs) it's completion clause or something in his contract. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Will Smith movie? I don't think we can really talk about this without talking about the Will Smith version because the audience is very likely to have uh, certainly seen that if they haven't seen the Chuck Heston movie. Yeah, the Will Smith. Go ahead. No, the Will Smith movie was was, uh, quite successful, I guess. you know, I didn't see it when it came out. It came out in 2007. But it was, you know, it's not a great movie, but it, it was much better done. I mean, they they got they, the 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 zombies or whatever. The creatures are scary. Um, they cribbed the car scene in the beginning. They got the they, they put it in New York, but they got the kind of post-apocalyptic vibe um, done really well. And uh, the, uh, there's a dog in this one. Uh, he's also right. He has a, like, the, the, and, and he has the same name. He's Robert Neville. Same name in both. Right, and uh, and and they they sort of they respect the concept of the story a little more. And then you know, at least in the alternate ending, the the it's faithful to the intent of the original um, Matheson uh, story. And uh, in the Vincent Price one, by the way, he's not Robert Neville. He has another name. I forget what it is, but he's not Robert Neville. Right. So, um, you know, it, it was uh, they took out all of the um, strange um, aspects of the family uh, in, in the, the Will Smith version. I am legend and just made them sort of horrifying monsters from his viewpoint. That was it. Well, but there's, I mean, there, I haven't seen I Am Legend in some time, but there is a sort of sense that there's a little bit of society to them in the way that the lead zombie kind of has sway over the group. Right. But you sort of, you you don't realize that at all, really, until the movie is, <clears throat> is sort of getting towards the conclusion. <clears throat> because in the beginning, they're just, you don't even see them at all for most of the movie because he's just clearly terrified of them. And, right. and, uh, and, and, then, and they are, they are, they are scary, you know, unlike the family and really Omega scary. man who, you know, I, you know, I wasn't afraid of at all. Like the zombies in, and I am legend who are a little more vampire too. They're sort of between vampires, I guess, and zombies. They're scary. You know, although, you know, I thought that, I mean, I am legend is 2007 and, when I saw it, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on video. I was very, very aware that they were CGI. Like the CGI is really overt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read, I read at the time that apparently they they started the movie with actors playing the zombies, and then they they cut all those scenes and redid them with CGI. They just didn't think that the actors looked good. And maybe they watched Omega Man and were like, "Oh my god, this it's just not scary having these guys running around in a costume." They probably dressed them just like Omega Man of the PA. <laughs> they were, ironically, they were wearing Charles Hessen's safari outfit and his white <laughs> conical hat. It just wasn't scary. Test audiences were unimpressed by the white conical hats. He does run around his little lab, which is way better looking as a lab. But he does run around his little lab in a white coat all the time. It looks kind of goofy. Yeah, although Will Smith is at least a little bit convincing as the scientist. You know, he puts two two test tubes in opposite positions in his centrifuge before he runs it. Right. <clears throat> he doesn't run around just holding a machine gun and a and a, a glass of scotch <laughs> and having dates shirtless. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I like the way too, by the way, that you know, like I am sorry, Omega Man, like you know, like Hessen just showed up. You know, now like they would never let a male appear in a movie without having his you know chest hair either waxed out of existence or trimmed to the perfect length. You know, Hessen looks like he just <laughs> showed up and took his shirt off. You know, he's got like big stinky tufts of underarm <laughs> hair hanging out. Like, I, I was know. like. I was like, oh, man, he needs to trim. He looks sweaty. <laughs> he looks like he just played like a round of golf and then, then before he got to the set. <laughs> he probably did. He probably did. You know, he did the rain shooting his machine guns. He was probably shooting a better movie at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I am, you know, I am legend. I am legend definitely. Uh, it hold, I think it holds up certainly better than Omega Man. It'll be interesting to see... Um, you know, how people look back on I Am Legend, for example, in, you know, 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm pulling up Heston's filmography. I'm sort of curious what he made before and after this. I'm looking to see if I can find his uh, film. Here it is. So here's his filmography online. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and he makes Omega Man. So so this is the same year as Escape uh from the planet of the apes, although he's, he appears in that only in archive footage. Um, and then it's followed next year by, um, Anthony and Cleopatra, where he plays Mark Anthony. And then the year afterwards is Soylent Green. And then after that is airport 75. So, you know, like he's, he's kind of bouncing from big mainstream film to big mainstream film. And by the way, um, the same producer made Soylent Green. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Again, again, sort of uh, sticking with the post-apocalyptic dystopian world. Some people, by the way, um, believe that unofficially, it's a sort of a fan theory that Soylent Green and uh, Logan's Run occur in the same universe. Hmm. It's it's completely unproven, but some people uh, sort of think that Soylent Green is is the where the city of the domes occurs, but hundreds of years before. And actually there, I remember once being at the Walmart and seeing Soylent Green in the same DVD set as <laughs> Logan's run, <laughs> like, you know, like a two for, for $5 in the bin at the back of the Walmart. Right. Well, th- um, that's, be- that had nothing to do with anything. It's just because those two movies, no one who goes to Walmart will ever buy. <laughs> Except me. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm the one. Well, I'm bought, the guy. You bought one, and then they promptly sent 18 cases of the same two-pack to that Walmart. Because they're <laughs> right. like, finally, someone someone bought one. I actually, I believe, I, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but um, it was. I believe that I'm one of the four living Logan's Run fans in North America. <laughs> um, it was funny because once uh, I, I found a, a, a Yahoo chat group dedicated to Logan's run and I got all excited and I joined and like I think I think I made 85% of the posts <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised there was and then eventually 15%. I realized eventually I realized I was the only person who contributed you know for like a month and I stopped going <laughs> although I did get my hopes up that there was somebody else out there for a while yeah I think you, you would have um, had better luck on Usenet back in the day so why do you? So here's a serious question for you. Why do you think post-apocalyptic stuff was so prevalent in the movies in the '70s? I mean, you could argue that there's always going to be post-apocalyptic films, but there are quite a lot in the '70s. Well, I think that you know people. It was all the 
insults to society because, you know, you had the Cold War for a while. You had nuclear terror building over time. Then you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, which I, I guess people, people over time realized how how close the Cuban Missile Crisis was to disaster. <laughs> then you have Kennedy's assassination. Then you have Vietnam. Then you have, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy's assassination. Watergate. Watergate. Right. Watergate. Right. And I guess the idea that, like, the you know, like, the worst things could happen. Right. You know, uh, they really – I think people sort of really had a sense that that uh, the old order was disintegrating. Hmm. And um, interesting thought. I think, and you know, I'm, it's funny because I don't consider myself like a big post-apocalyptic guy. You know, like I mean, I'm not certainly not a fan of the zombie genre. You know, like like I have a friend who you know he's, he's all he talks about is zombie movies and TV shows. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I mean. Clearly, there's you know there's money in it. I mean, this is a this is a, a a sort of a subgenre. It's like sort of like part sci-fi, part horror. You know, because they always have to have an explanation for it, right? Is it a, is it a virus? Is it bacteriological warfare that gives it sort of a sci-fi angle? But it, it mostly comes down to sort of horror, being you know chased by the unkillable monster. Actually, you know what's interesting about um, about I Am Legend? Uh, I forgot to mention was uh you know in the omega man the initiation the origin of the of the the virus and the plague is is warfare um right they talk about a bacillus containing warhead missile or something yeah but but in in i am legend it's a a human engineered um virus to treat cancer Oh, interesting. And and so it really, I mean, talk about uh, parent about modern paranoia. I mean, that is uh, that's right up there, right? And just think of the the money that the NIH is spending on immunotherapy now, using some viruses, right? Although sadly, they don't really do anything. <laughs> yeah, they never, neither good nor bad. <laughs> they never work. <laughs> Damn immunotherapy. Right. Um, I don't know. Any, uh, uh, we're just over an hour. Um, for a movie that's an hour and 38 minutes long, by the way. Um, any any parting or final thoughts? Yeah, I would see I Am Legend instead. I would, say, I would say watch the first 15 minutes, and then I would watch uh, Rosalind Cash's scenes. <laughs> and then watch I Am Legend. <laughs> with, the alternate, right. with the alternate ending, by the way, because I think that's better. Yeah, I do like the cold open though. I gotta tell you, that was that. Honestly, I really did get my hopes up there, only to have them dashed. Yeah, exactly. Hope, I guess. Do you, do, do you use the word "dashed" for any other context besides your hopes? Mm, and Morse code, oh, not so much. Da- dashed on a on ships get dashed, dashed on, on rocks, the rocks. I guess. But, right. but my hopes were in fact dashed. Well, you can. <laughs> I dashed out to the Seven Eleven and bought a Colt Forty Five. <laughs> Thanks, Billy D. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about the black exploitation element of this movie. Either, yeah, we just kind of hinted on it, but uh, right. it was pretty funny too. That was another reason I found it entertaining. <laughs> I didn't like it, but anyway. All right. So, for the, in case listeners haven't figured it out, next week we are doing Logan's Run. That's my pick. We're alternating picks, and next week we're doing Logan's Run. So after you just talked about how no one likes Logan's Run, you're trying to advertise. No, I didn't say that no one likes it. I said that no one remembers it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, next That's week. I mean, I'm one of the four living Logan's Run fans. I'm trying to get more people to join my Yahoo Logan's Run group. <laughs> I have faith that after our podcast, that number will be at least five. <laughs> or maybe even six. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, See you next All right. Time. Thank you, guys. Yeah.